everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Executive here at the Bio CEO Investor Conference. Uh, and so good to have Hans Kirsted yeah, thank you. of Ivita Biomedical. It's really a pleasure to have you. I appreciate you taking the time. Ah, thanks for having me. Really yeah. appreciate it. Um, well, let's hop into it. Uh, I've heard a lot about you. This is now your fourth company. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that uh, as we go into it. But tell us about Ivita, what, what you're doing, and what, what, what's the team up to? Well, Avita is a group of people that have been with me for about 22 years okay. through my three previous biotechs and uh, bought, you know, by other larger pharma, etc. And so I've got a bit of a cadence running and um, they've, they've been with me all this time. And Avita is really, a, you know, it's all about the people. It's all about the staff. We've been able to generate two major asset classes. They both use the same underlying technology of a cancer vaccine and a COVID vaccine that use a dendritic cell base. Okay. So both of them are taking your own dendritic cells. That's like the frontline warrior of your immune system. It's like the general of the army or the maestro of your symphony of your immune system. And we isolate that from you. And then we teach it to fight something in a dish. In the case of cancer, we teach it to fight your own cancer stem cells, the seed of your cancer. In the case of COVID-19, we teach it to kill a little synthetic peptide that we drop in there, clearly yeah. the SARS-CoV-2 antigen, or frankly, any pathogen that we feed it. COVID, it's a personal immunotherapy that's given to you. And in cancer, we actually sell a kit that allows a hospital, uh, a pharmacy, a little dirt hut in the middle of nowhere to make a vaccine for you. So we sell kit, making it vaccine ready for pathogen preparedness, in this case, COVID-19. So you, because it's personalized to that person. So that's when you say there's a kit, it's because you can't just give it to somebody right. and give it to the same person. They're, you're doing something with it, you know, whether it's at a hut in Africa or wherever, right? You're, um, can you explain that exactly how you get, make it personalized from there? So cancer is different in everyone. What causes cancer in you is now known to be a tumor initiating cell or otherwise known as a cancer stem cell. My background's all one of a stem cell scientist. I've been a professor for 15 years at University of California and Keio University in Japan and just spent my career researching cancer stem cells and stem cells. In cancer, every cancer, 100% of cancers, it's caused by a tumor initiating cell or tick. Yours are different from mine. Every human has thousands of unique mutations. So we've got to get it from the patient. And when you don't do that, when you don't get a personal immunotherapy for cancer, that's a hell of a big stick over the head. Hmm. You know, it's, think about cancer therapies. They're so brutal. Radiotherapy, you know, yeah. um, chemotherapy. Thank goodness we have checkpoint inhibitors. That's a generic way of taking the brakes off of one's immune system. But we're still at a loss. No one has ever taught the immune system to kill the cancer. But now we can. We can get tumor-initiating cells from a cancer patient. They go undergo surgical resection in any case. We have a little tiny vial, little finger vial in the surgery room. And when the doctor is chopping out that piece of tumor, they take a little sliver of it, even if it's just a cubic millimeter plop it in our little vial, send it room temperature from three days anywhere in the world, 
it makes it to us with a little bit of the blood from the patient. And if you're a cancer patient, you're getting your blood drawn. <laughs> so this yeah. is just a blood draw. And now we have your tumor. And from that, we pull out that 1% tumor-initiating cells, your tumor-initiating cell. Doesn't look like anyone else's in the world, but we can extract that and expand it without differentiating. And we use that as the target. And we also have your blood. And we extract from that a dendritic cell, that frontline warrior of your immune system. And we feed the one to the other. The dendritic cell just eats, the, eats up the tumor-initiating cell and binds them inside and makes them human receptors. Our drug is actually your immune system that's expressing your own tumor-initiating cell antigens or markers. I actually named this intus, which is the Latin word for within, from within, because yeah. we don't even make anything. We it's basically combine body. two things from you, your immune system, general, yeah. and your own tumor-initiating cell, making a drug that has no side effects, that targets very specifically the seed of cancer, the tumor-initiating cell that births all the, the cancers, every tumor in the body. It also migrates away and metastasizes, and it also falls asleep and is responsible for recurrence. That little sleeper that falls asleep in for seven years in your large blood vessels or your bone marrow, and then wakes up, drops daughters, and you have cancer again. Yeah. We kill that one as well. So our survival rates in melanoma are 73% survival. That's amazing. At two years, 54 at five years. Those are the highest numbers ever reported in the cancer literature. And in glioblastoma multiform, brain cancer, we just finished a nine clinical center phase two clinical trial, and we were just awarded a phase three that we're starting now. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. But that phase two, 50% more people survive. Wow. And to give you a perspective, in the last decade, there's only been three treatments approved for glioblastoma, and every one of them improved survival by 12 to 15%. Ours is 50. So I just, I can't tell you, I'm just so overjoyed. It's a, it's a wonderful way to make a living. It's yeah. a wonderful way to, to help the world in something that is horrible. You know, glioblastoma is the fastest cancer killer of all the cancers. And if we can hit this one, we can hit them all. This being your fourth company, you clearly have a passion for this. Where did that come from? Where, where did this all originate to, you know, to be on your fourth company now, even though you probably don't have to do this? You know, it all started when I was 11. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. That's all good things to do. It actually did. I was a little kid who thought he wanted to be a medical doctor. And I was just determined to help people. And I thought that meant I wanted to be a medical doctor. And so I went in, got into med school, did my first year of med school. And then I realized that medical doctors don't invent the drugs. They apply the drugs that are already invented. Yeah. And I was also struck with how few good medicines there were. I'm a neuroscientist, so I, I grew up studying the brain and the love for the brain and that great, vast unknown. And... You know, it really got me. I ended up leaving med school and jumping into the PhD program. I did get great marks in med school. <laughs> it wasn't a forced right. Yeah. But I, uh, I, you know, I, I just, I made the right decision then. I wanted to be a, an explorer. I wanted to be an adventurer. I wanted to be a drug developer. 
And I've just been so thankful that individuals around me have supported me along the way. The, the lawyers, the money, houses, yeah. the everything, uh, professors, etc. And I ended up having very big stories very young. So when I was in my 20, 20s, I had, you know, 40 people working for me in companies and things like that. Very, very well funded. And, um, you know, that's not easy to do. Um, I'm not taking all the credit myself. It's my team. It's my team. It's my team. But that team I've, I've managed to hold with me all this time, making for, you know, several decades now, a very, very productive work with very good medicines. Knock on wood, I haven't actually had a drug fail yet. Yeah. So is that a lot of the team now from previous companies? Yes, it is. Yeah. Really? So I, whenever I sell a company, I generally try to retain my staff. Can't all the time, yeah. at least not all of them, but I retain, retain the core, you know, pay them well, give them ownership of the company, treat them like a boss yeah. because they're better at what they do than I am. So it's a flat hierarchy with fully flexible work hours, with unlimited paid vacations. I match every charitable thing they ever do, pay for their gym memberships, et cetera, et cetera. Really, it's about respect that each individual is their own boss at work. And right. They show up when they want to and they get their job done. And that gives them confidence and drive. And, you know, our mission is a good one. Yeah. You know, we're saving lives. It's hard and not to show up for work. Yeah, it's for hard not yeah. to show up yeah. for work. But I, you know, I, I sold my third company, you know, I think eight years ago, walking on the beach. You know, my tan was awesome. My beach volleyball was killer. Yeah. Great bod from, you know, doing nothing but, <laughs> you know, working out, yeah. playing out all day. Focus. Three months went by and I was bored stiff. Yeah. And I like, what the hell am I doing? I need to go back to what I'm good at, what my heart wants. And I've been doing the 60, 70 hour work weeks ever since. And I just, uh, I'm drawn to this. I love helping people. I think I'm good at it in developing drugs. And the track record is helping me now in ways that I never had before of, you know, bigger money, um, multinational reach, uh, working at presidential level in many cases, yeah. United Nations, that type of stuff. And um, it's made me more productive and way leads on to way. Yeah. So I'm having, I'm having a blast. I want to hit it as much I as I can. I want to ask you about the team. Yeah. It's, it's amazing you've been able to retain so many great people, but you, you had to hire them, hire them in the beginning. Yeah. How do you find great people? Like, <laughs> what were you looking for that made them so great? Or did you have to develop a lot of it? You know, hiring people is a lot easier than people think. The error is to hire somebody that has a skill set that you want. That's the error. What you do, what I do, is hire somebody, forgive me, I live in California, but I call it the dude interview. You know, you hire somebody for their personality. Yeah. If they have education behind them, all it does for me is tells me that they have the capacity to learn. But if somebody doesn't, that doesn't mean they don't. So I hire on an individual basis. I fire based on personality. You know, if you think you're better than everybody else, if you're sexist, if you're racist, whatever, you're just a prick. No. No place for you. you know, there's no place for you. But if you're very cool, if you're fun to be with, if you're smart and energetic, if you just manifest that in some way in your life and allow me to know that, 
then you're the type of person that I want because I know you're smart. You prove that in some way or another. I can teach you the specifics of this job. Like, I'm way overeducated. I did all these degrees. Do I really remember the heart of my PhD work? Yeah. Not really. Yeah. My three postdoctoral projects? Yeah, I'm pretty good at it now. Yeah. I was, I'm not the ace I was when I was doing it. So you can learn. You learn new sets. So pick people based on personality, flat hierarchy, and treat them, enable them to be a boss. Like you really, I shop people around. If they say, Hans, I want to I wanna be a bench scientist. I say, okay, let's try you at the bench. But I pull them out a week later and I put them as a strategic scientist, thinking. Then a reading, reading thinking. And then I pull them in the business development of the science. And then I put them on the medical side. And then I expose them to quality and then regulatory intellectual property. And you will just notice when that person comes alive, and it's like, oh, my God, they're there before me. You and found I the love this. And then I'm like, Matt, you stay right there. Yeah. Like, you this like this? This is what this? you should be doing. This is, and they work three, five times as harder. Yeah. They take it home with them. They can't wait to get to work. I had a, a coach once tell me that paying somebody a salary and thinking that is their compensation is irresponsible. Mm -hmm. You've got to create a life around that person for one third to one half of their lives because they're going home thinking, what do they do today? They're telling their kids, wife, husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, what they do. They're laying in bed thinking about how they screwed up or how they're going to nail that thing tomorrow. As an employer, you owe that person to create a whole life. So that means training, ongoing training. It means stimulation. It means a ladder that they can climb rather than a box that they yeah. sit in. That's well said. Yeah, obviously the team is a big part of this. What are some of the other things that you've seen or is, are a big part of your success in the last companies that you did really well that you look back and you're like, I would attribute it to those things? You know, a lot of the tools I use fall under a category of innocent intrigue. I, I nurse innocent intrigue in myself. I am not the staid expert. I like to be the naive kid. Um, it keeps your eyes open. It keeps your ears open. It keeps your excitement up. It's the curiosity. Your curiosity. So I call it innocent intrigue, and I, I try to nurture that. And that has been responsible for almost all of my successes. Yeah. Because, you know, you don't start a company to treat cancer unless you're a bit ballsy yeah. or stupid. Right? It could be either way. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or both. But, you know, you really do have to have something about you to do something like that. And yeah. the stuff that I've done in my scientific and medical career, you know, they're big leaps. They're big things. They're kind of, they're kind of ballsy. Yeah. They're bold. And I, the only reason I can do them is because... I'm convinced that I can. And now there's two ways you get convinced. Either you're delusional, which I don't think I am, or you've taken a lateral approach that no one else has taken. And how can you do that? You know, everyone else in the world is blinders on, studying right. cancer like it should be studied. Yeah. And what has happened as a result of that? Extremely little. We have been knocking on the door of cancer for decades now. And what are we doing? 
we're throwing broad spectrum toxins at it. Like that is just, it's so archaic. It is so barbaric. So how do you take a stand against cancer? You have to think laterally. And how do you nurse lateral thought? Innocent intrigue. Innocence, the naivete to say, oh, chemotherapy to radiation and drugs like that. No, 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 no. Yeah. I don't want to do that. Although they do work. Yeah. It's just that they kind of suck while they're working. Yeah. More than kind of. They, they so kill you, half the person. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you know, they, cancer patient survives cancer therapy. And then they try to survive cancer. Yeah. I, I'd like to turn that around. So I started thinking in an innocent intrigue manner of what else could we do? How could we do this? Oh, you're going to need a personal immunotherapy. That's never going to work because there's been no companies that do personal therapies that are profitable. Doesn't sound scalable. Doesn't sound scalable. Yeah. But that's the lateral thinking. That's the innocent intrigue. Like, oh, you're right. We should go personal one by one. And then how can you make it viable commercially? Yeah. And the drug that we've developed at Avito Biomedical costs us less than $10,000 per patient to make. That's the cheapest cancer drug I've ever heard of. Likewise. You know? And so lateral thinking, innocent intrigue, keeps you young, keeps you happening, keeps you thinking out of the mainstream. Now, you've got to marry that with some good, schooled, smarts, of course. So we're not delusional. We're not being silly. But we nurture things. I nurture things in me to keep myself thinking that way. And that has been the single most contributive thing to the success of our company. It's also interesting you don't get ahead of yourself, right? You, you let the curiosity kind of dwell. You figure out the solution. You're not thinking about, is this scalable? How's the manufacturing? You're, you're trying to figure out the solution first. Yeah. And then probably once you have that, then you start thinking about, okay, now what's next? You're absolutely right. What's next probably stops a lot of people, right? Yeah. Because they get too far ahead. Yeah. When you look at the stepwise path to a therapy, it is daunting. Yeah. It's just ridiculously difficult. It's smarter to look at the very end, to design the concept, the concept of the drug. I need it to be under ten thousand bucks so that I can get it to everyone in the world, not just wealthy nations. Yeah. I can go outside of reimbursement because I think everyone that's dying can afford to beg, borrow five thousand dollars to get right. a treatment. Yeah. So let's make something that's inexpensive, that's accessible to everyone. You know, let's make something that is different. So it's not just another flavor of chemotherapy or radiation or taking the brakes off the immune system. Let's step outside of that box and make something that is accessible to everybody, that can go around the world because it's accessible to everybody. When you have your eye on that, what does that do for you? It motivates you. And then all the steps that get you there, you know, you hire yeah. people. You right. get it done. You've got the you drive. You've out. got the mission. You're going to figure it out. If you don't have that goal, you won't have that inspiration. To think of the million steps that we've had to go through to get into an approved phase three clinical trial for brain cancer, I'm not sure I would have done it yeah. had I known the millions of dollars and years and 24-hour days that I've put it's in with my not team. To know, it's better not to know. Yeah. <laughs> you plan it out, right. and I'm I'm exaggerating, but in some because ways, I, yeah. you know, you do know, but. It's easier to categorize all that difficult hardness. How do you manage then the long-term vision of what you want to do, which I do want to hear, what is the long-term vision, but also not look too far out, knowing how daunting that is, and it can <laughs> actually be discouraging to the team of how far you have to go. You know, uh, one of the uh, key components that I'm told that I have is the ability to compartmentalize, and yeah. it's a key, key skill set I've come to learn. 
So when I do have my vision on the goal, I put that in a box and I'm, I'm like, that's it. And I put that box on a shelf and I look at that thing and I say, that's what I want. That's what we're going to do, everybody. And then, of course, my extremely smart and complicated staff say, oh, whoa, 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 Hans, you have no idea how many steps it is to get to that box. And I said, well, let's break them all down and compartmentalize every single one of them. And once you do that, once you put each task into a box, we live in a specialized world. There's, there are people out there that know how to break down that box. And the world is, of science is knitted. It is integrated. We share. Yeah. You can, as long as you've got the resources, because you're realistic and you set good timelines, you hit your milestones, then the money houses follow. They yeah. can see that you've delivered on the timeline that you had because your compartmentalization equals milestones. And as long as you get smart on all those things and you put value accretion to each of those little compartmentalized boxes, you articulate that, you do it in a realistic timeline, you, you know, over-deliver. It comes together. They, they keep coming back. The investors that I have in AV to Biomedical invested in my prior stories. And there's a reason why they keep coming because we make the money. Right. And probably more important than that, at least I like to think, we give them a pretty damn good reason to live. That they've they've helped there's a real hundreds mission. and thousands of patients yeah. that they didn't even meet. Yeah, just how like cool me. That's that? It, it, that carries you. Yeah. Um, well, I do want to hear what is the long term vision that you have <laughs> for the company. And you, I know you, you know, can't make promises because that can give us both in trouble. But you know, part of me wishes that um, it was 50 years ago when you could build an Amgen, because I think I'd love to build an Amgen, yeah. you know, a Roche, yeah. right? And Eli why, Lilly. Why does it have to be 50 years ago? The economy now, the power that each of these specialists has is extreme. So now, today's world, it, the end acquirers of big pharma, the middle groups, the money houses, the PE funds, the small biotechs, the venture capitalists, the entire system is tuned for a very efficient pathway of fund the early companies, hand off to the larger ones. And every one of my companies has sold at phase three approval to larger pharma. And that is the fastest way to get the drug to the most people out there at the least risk. It simply is. It's actually more risky for me to say, Sorry, big pharma, I'm going to do it myself. Yeah. Excuse me, investors, I need to raise $2 billion now, dilute you way down, and I'm probably going to stumble over things that the big pharma are not going to stumble over because they've been doing this right, left, and center and running right. 25, 50 drugs at a time doing this. So it becomes a matter of efficiency. Yeah. So in today's world, what do I want from my company? I want to value accrete for the investors I'm not all about money. I'm all about the drug and saving lives. But if you don't make money, you won't be able to make drugs. Yeah. And so as a developer of drugs, I have a keen eye for the value accretion that I provide for investors. So they keep coming back and I keep delivering. It's hard. It's very, very difficult work. But, you know, the vision carries you. So my vision for Avita Biomedical is to sell it. We've just obtained phase three approval for a cancer treatment that's all cancers. And I'm starting to get very, very serious interest. It's a very, very good immunotherapy. 
So I believe that it will partner fairly soon. And then off it goes into the hands of a more capable commercializing entity. And then the COVID-19, I'm so excited about this one. It's, this was truly a lateral thinking type exercise. It's the only vaccine in the world that's made a point of care. It's the only vaccine in the world that's a kit. It's the only vaccine for COVID-19 that ships and stores at room temperature, except for one component that requires a four-degree fridge. Compare that with minus 60 to minus 90 distribution. For everything, yeah. 83% of the world does not have ultra-cold chain distribution. They will never have the penetration of mRNA vaccines. So I love them. I don't mean to denigrate mRNA vaccines. They've helped the world tremendously, saved millions of lives. We are indebted to those companies that are moving them forward. But there's another vaccine on the market, and it fits another niche. It's a better protector. It has fewer side effects. And we can have distributed, scaled manufacturing in millions of hospitals, not only to eradicate a pathogen like COVID-19, but as pathogen preparedness. We can, in 48 hours, send a little tiny vial of recombinant proteins, a new spike protein for a new drug, sorry, a new pathogen. Maybe it isn't COVID-19. Maybe it's a new variant. It doesn't matter. We can whip that thing up in about a week, in two days, send it out to millions of hospitals if we need to, and they are ready right away, 48 hours later, to make a vaccine in that location, this location, that location, hospitals all over their country. And when you vaccinate en masse like that, you get that herd immunity. It's awesome. That's really powerful. So I'm very, very excited to be distributing this. And we're just at a point where uh, we are getting approval to sell our vaccine in various nations. I hope that over the next six months, we're going to be in a good 50 or 100 nations. Yeah, the future's bright. Help us. To to wrap us up, do you have any, having done this a few times, now you just can't help yourself because you want to help people and you're driven by the mission. Any just parting advice that you'd have for other life science executives, maybe it's first-time founders that are doing this, anything that you really kind of sticks out to you, you want to just kind of leave with the audience? My advice to entrepreneurs would be to nurture that innocent intrigue in you. Don't get channeled down what your school or your even your mentors have taught you. Have an innocence and an intrigue about you where you can think laterally. You can draw from multiple talents. You know, I do martial arts, and there's this saying, to master the sword, study the guitar. That's a very ancient saying, meaning you've got to be good at everything to be excellent at one. And you can only do that if you have this nurturing spirit of innocent entry. You have to know the game. You may not like the game, but you've got to know it. You've got to know the game. You've got to value people. I guarantee you that every major thing that's ever happened to you is because of a person. You've got to realize that. You have to open yourself to them. You have to be vulnerable to them. You've got to help and reach out to them. And you will see a wellspring of productivity and change in your life. That's well said. Hans, this is awesome. Really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for doing what you do and giving us exposure. Absolutely. Thanks, Hans. (laughs) Okay.